Have you ever prayed for something only to be disappointed because your prayer wasn't answered according to your plan and according to your schedule? Have you ever prayed for something and you had it all figured out how God was going to answer your prayer? And when he did answer your prayer, you were surprised at the way that he actually answered it. Have you ever prayed for something and struggled to believe that God would answer your prayer? Because in your mind, you just didn't see any way that even God could pull it off. Well, if you answered yes to any of those questions, you're in good company because all believers at one time or another experience those kinds of thoughts. But your experience really mirrors in some ways, in many ways, the experience of the two people that we've read about in our passage this morning, that being Zechariah and Elizabeth. Let me ask you another question. Do you think that Zechariah and Elizabeth had an effective prayer life? I think that I could safely say Yes, they did. And part of why I believe that is because of the testimony of the angel. What did Gabriel say to Zechariah? Well, in verse 13, he said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. So whatever prayers that he had been offering, had been heard by God. And why were they heard by God? Well, yes, in a sense, it's true that God hears all of our prayers. But the prayers that God answers for us are those prayers that are prayed according to his will. So therefore, as Zechariah and both Elizabeth prayed, they were praying according to God's will, and therefore God answered their prayer. So the angel goes on and he tells Zechariah that him and Elizabeth, they're going to have a child, and this child would be no ordinary child. Now, uh, I'm a father of four and a grandfather of nine, and I have no ordinary children or grandchildren, right? Right? And, and and every parent thinks that. But let's face it. Most of us are just a bunch of mugs and we're pretty ordinary. Right? But Zechariah gets the testimony of the angel. He actually has God's word on it that the child that they are going to have is not going to be some ordinary child. In fact, he's going to be a very special child. He's going to be a great child. Now, he's not great in the eyes of the world. I mean, here was a guy who really lived on the fringes of society. He didn't conform to any kind of cultural norms. But yet, he was special. He was not ordinary. He was a great, going to be a great child. In fact, he was going to be a part 
of the fulfillment of God's first promise of the gospel. The first promise of the gospel is found in Genesis 3.15. When God says to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's the first mention of the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to crush the head of Satan. That's part of the gospel message. The Lord Jesus wins the ultimate victory. And John the Baptist, the child that was going to be born to Zechariah and Elizabeth, he's going to play a critical part in the fulfillment of God's promise. So let me ask you this. Do you think, knowing now what we know about John, that he's no ordinary child, that there's something special about him, indeed he's going to be great, do you think that God would entrust that child to prayerless and careless parents? I don't think so. I don't think so. So immediately, there's two statements of application that we can make here. The first one is, mom and dad, never ever discount the power of, of your prayers on behalf of your children. Say, I don't have any children yet. Even better, start praying for those children now. You say, wait a minute, uh, they don't exist if God's going to bless you with children, they exist in the mind of God. They have just not come along in time yet. Begin to pray for your children now. Say, what should I pray about? Number one, pray about their salvation. Listen, just because kids are raised in a Christian home doesn't mean that they will always come to Christ. But pray about their salvation. This may seem rather strange if the child doesn't even exist yet. Pray about their spouse. Beloved, trust me as a pastor of 30 years, you don't want your child mixed up with an unbeliever. You don't want to see that happen. It's nothing but sheer heartache for everyone. So pray about that now. Pray that they will be used of God. I don't think it's necessarily wrong to say, God, use my child greatly. Understanding, like Samuel, that he didn't belong to Hannah, that he belonged to God. And what did she say? If you'll just give me a child, I'll give him right back. And who among us wouldn't want to have raised a, a Samuel? Begin praying for him now. That's the first application. Second, do not evaluate the effectiveness of your prayer life by the speed of which your prayers are either answered or not answered. We are impatient people, aren't we? We're like the kid who can't wait for Christmas to get here. We live in an M patient society we want it all and we want it when now but 
the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah teaches us that just because their prayers wasn't answered when they expected and hoped that they would be answered doesn't mean that they weren't going to be answered. And that's hard for us to swallow sometimes. We, we cry out, why, God? How much longer do I have to wait? We're like the, the souls under the altar in the book of Revelation crying out for justice. How much longer, Lord? We need to keep this truth in mind that God's delay, and you've heard this before, God's delay is not the same as his denial. And that's what got me thinking about what we talked about in prayer meeting this morning. Go back there to Luke 18. This, 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 this widow lady, she was not going to give up. I'm afraid too many of us, if we would have been in that situation, we pray and we ask God for something a few times, and then when he doesn't answer right away, what do we do? We give up. We say, well, it must not be God's will. Well, what if that widow lady had given up on the first try? She never would have received justice. And that's the point that Jesus was trying to show us. Keep banging on heaven's door, if you will. Keep knocking on the door until you get some kind of an answer. Listen, if the church of Jesus Christ is going to do anything in this world at all, it's going to be through prayer. Not through clever marketing strategies. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Todd Friel, but he put out a video this week, and it was, uh, it, it, it was sad and humorous at the same time. They showed 12 clips of Christmas I don't even want to say, I don't know, it wasn't plays. I don't know, what would you call them? Programs, I guess. And he said, guess, is it, is it uh, secular or sacred? And the vast majority of them were from churches, but you couldn't tell the difference from the secular ones. Pray tell. How do we reach the world by showing the world we're just like you? Well, if you're just like me, what do I need you for? I encourage you, go watch some of the clips. You'll be shocked at what happens in the name of Christ. And God has infinitely more patience than I do. There's a lot of fire in these programs. If I was God, I would have been tempted to uh, redirect some of that fire, to be honest with you. The church is going to conquer not by being like the world, but being distinct from the world and through our prayers. You know, and it's helpful to remind ourselves that the entirety of Scripture is not about us. <laughs> this is not our story. This is a story of what God is doing. This is a story of God's faithfulness. This is a story of God's power. This is a story of God's plans and God's purposes. So therefore, our prayers must be in line with all of that. You know, it's in the scriptures. This is what, this is what I really struggle with 
with, with the state of the evangelical church today, his ways are clearly spelled out in the scriptures, yet we so freely and flippantly choose to ignore them. In essence, we thumb our nose in God's face and say, well, I know what you said, but I think I'll try it this way. I'm afraid. Say, what's the big deal? What's it, what's it matter to you? Well, it matters to me for a couple of reasons. Number one, because the glory of God is being defamed. And number two, multitudes think that they're on their way to heaven when they're not. Because they're not hearing the gospel. And it's sad and it's tragic. But I don't believe it's irreversible. Now, none of that was in my notes, and it, it was free, and you can take it for what it's worth if it's worth anything. Amen? So, what does this story teach me as a believer? Number one, it teaches me to never give up believing in what I'm praying, if I'm praying according to God's will, despite what I'm seeing with my physical eyes. You see that? It's so easy to look around us, to look at our current circumstances and think God's doing absolutely nothing. I'm on my own here. No, you're not looking through the eyes of faith. You're looking through physical eyes, and your physical eyes are deceiving you. So let's apply this to, example, to the example of Zechariah and Elizabeth. I got news for the young folk. Aging is undeniable. Yeah? Your hair unless you are extremely blessed by God, will do one of two things. It will either turn gray or it will turn loose. <laughs> and in my case, unfortunately, it's decided to do both. Okay. I may be able to do something. I could do something artificially about my hair. I would, I, I, I'm, I'm half tempted to dye my hair black and walk in here next week just to see your reactions. It's undeniable. Time marches on. Our bodies begin to fail. You can't do at 60 what you did at 50 or 40. Certainly not 30. The wrinkles become more pronounced. Time marches on. And think about Zechariah and Elizabeth. The Bible makes it clear they were advanced in years. That's a nice way of saying they had crested the top of the hill and they were far down the other side. And so each day when they looked at each other, the thought probably occasionally crossed their minds. We'll never have a child. We're too old. 
It's never going to happen for us. But again, that's why we must always see through the eyes of faith. We must see with God's perspective. This story, if, if it teaches us nothing else, certainly teaches us that God works in the most unexpected ways and in his own perfect timing. So I have to ask you, do you need to apply this to yourself? Is there something that you've been praying for, yet the answer is yet to come? Are you beginning to doubt the Lord's faithfulness to you? If that is where you find yourself this morning, look back to the old man, not this man, the other old man, in Luke 1. Look to him. Read his story. Look at a man who has spent his entire adult life serving God in the temple. Decade after decade, he remains faithful. He continues to serve. He keeps moving forward, even though there's this one overwhelming desire that has been unfulfilled in his heart and in his wife's heart, and that in their mind, God wasn't going to answer, that God had said no to. Look to Zechariah and Elizabeth and be comforted with the knowledge that God's delays is not the same as God's denials. Now, look at verse 6. Verse 6 tells us that they were both righteous before God. Say, well, why were they righteous? Because they walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. In other words, they were God-fearing. They were God-honoring people. They were people who obeyed God's law. Does not mean that they were perfect. Doesn't say that they were perfect. It says they were blameless. Their heart was bent towards God. They were, they, their, their heart was bent towards obeying God. They loved him and they showed their love and their obedience to him day by day through their actions. But then in verse 7, Luke tells us, well, they had a problem, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, we need to understand the cultural significance of what Luke is saying here. In that culture, for a woman to be barren, to not have a child, that was tough. There was a real source of, of suffering for Elizabeth. And she had suffered for decades because she did not have a child. Children were seen as a sign of God's blessing. Now, paint this picture in your mind. Here we have a priest who serves in the temple and his wife, but yet they don't have a child. They've never had a child. Can't you hear the whispers about them? Well, what kind of a priest could he be? Must be, must be something wrong there. No, it was just God's plan. It was God's purpose to delay giving them a child. The Bible is clear, the scripture is clear that they were past that time in their lives. The hope of one day having a child was now nothing more than a distant memory, but the pain remained, but the hope had vanished. And isn't that similar to the situations that we sometimes find ourselves in? The hope is gone, but the pain remains. But remember, just like Zechariah and Elizabeth, God is not finished writing your story. There's more to come. 
And even if the pain remains with you throughout your life, remember the, the, the blessed promise of Paul that there awaits every child of God an eternal weight of glory beyond all earthly comparison. Philip Ryken says, we can well imagine the lifetime of heartache behind those words. This was the great disappointment of Elizabeth's life. She had always longed to hold a child in her arms, her child, but now that was impossible. She had been through menopause. Her womb was old and barren. And just as Jesus said about the man who was born blind, that God, that he was born blind for the glory of God, so too was Elizabeth barren for the glory of God. And God rewarded their faithfulness by giving them a special child. Another commentator said Elizabeth was suffering because of the way God wanted to be glorified through her life. Now think about that. And that can be a tough pill for us to swallow at times. But it, it teaches us just how valuable the glory of God is and how important the glory of God is. And I take that statement to mean that there was, there was a purpose to her suffering. And that purpose, frankly, wasn't revealed until the latter stages of her life. But she ultimately, ultimately understood what lay behind her suffering. And the experience of Elizabeth teaches us that even in the midst of our suffering, there is a way for us to glorify God. And beloved, I don't say this mean-spirited, but God is not glorified when we complain about our suffering. Certainly we can acknowledge our suffering. And I'm not even saying deny your suffering. Say, so, well, how do I keep from complaining in my suffering? Realize that it is for the glory of God. And that is the way that God has chosen to glorify himself through you. And that gives you a completely different outlook on your suffering. Too many Christians, when they suffer, they turn inward and they say something like this, what have I done to deserve this? Rather than saying, how can I best glorify God through this? Again, I want to reemphasize uh, re that despite the disappointment, despite the circumstances, they remain faithful to the Lord. If, if you take nothing else away, and by the way, this portion of Scripture is literally jammed with truth. And one of the lessons that we learn is that they remained faithful for decades despite the disappointment. And a lot of Christians need to learn that. Your life will probably not go according to your plan. You may not achieve the success, whatever that is, as the world defines it, that you thought that you would or that you hoped that you would or that you think that you deserve. You have to understand that God, if you belong to God, you're part of God's family. He is controlling your life. 
And he's using it in such a way that one day in glory, you're going to look back and say, I see the wisdom of what you were doing. You will be glad for his sovereignty. They were faithful. Well, one day in the providence of God, Zechariah was chosen to burn incense in the temple. Now, we read this some 2,000 years later, and we say, well, good for Zechariah. What's the big deal? Well, here's the big deal. This was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Historians tell us that there were probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 20,000 priests in Jerusalem who served in the temple. And they would serve two weeks at a time out of the year. Now think about it. There's 20,000 of them. And only two would be chosen on any particular day to go into the temple and offer the offering of incense. Now, Luke uses the word, the lot. You know, a lot in Scripture was like throwing the dice, but what's the Bible teach us? And we throw the dice, but God controls how they come up. So it was no accident that on this particular day, in this particular year, that the lot fell on Zechariah. And he was one of the two priests chosen to go in and offer incense. Now you have to understand, this was the, the, the high point of his priestly career. It probably would never happen again. It was a real privilege, but it was no accident. God was at work here. God controlled the lot. He wanted Zachariah in there on that day in that time. And that's exactly what happened. So this was Zechariah's Super Bowl. But what he didn't realize was that this was about to be one of the biggest moments of his life. It was bigger than he could ever have imagined. So Zechariah put on the priestly robes of, of purity. He would then have walked through the temple court with all the eyes of the worshipers who were there to offer their prayers. All those eyes would be locked on him. And he would cautiously and apprehensively and reverently approach the holy place. And once inside the holy place, he would see all of the instruments, these holy instruments that the people of Israel had made according to the instructions that God had given to Moses, the greatest prophet of Israel. And Zechariah, he's standing in the presence of God Almighty, burning the sweet incense that would rise as a pleasing aroma to God. It was a moment of awe. And I imagine he could probably feel the beating of his heart in his chest. But suddenly, Zechariah realizes that he's not alone. Standing on the right side of the altar was an angel. And the Bible says, and rightly so, that Zechariah was afraid. He was troubled. Now, when I think of an angel, I don't think of a thin waif of a man with delicate wings. That's not how I picture angels. No, when I think of an angel, I think of a warrior. I think of a muscle-bound hawk of a man who God has watching over his people, 
And he's prepared at any moment to do battle with the forces of Satan. I don't think it was some effeminate being flittering about. That wouldn't have, I, it, it may have disturbed Zechariah, but I don't know that it would have troubled him. But what was the first thing that this mighty angel did? He offers words of assurance, but these words of assurance are from God. In other words, Gabriel didn't come to deliver his own message. He didn't show up and ad-lib what he was going to say. You know, some people, they find themselves in a situation, they don't know what to say, so they just say the first thing that comes to their mind. That wasn't the case here with Gabriel. <coughs> Excuse me. He came to relay a message from God Almighty. And what was the message? He says, don't be afraid, and your prayers have been heard, and you're going to have a child. Now, briefly, what prayers is Gabriel referring to? Well, there are some who think, well, it's the prayers that Zachariah and Elizabeth had been praying for decades. And that's a very real possibility. Another possibility is he's referring to the prayers that Zachariah had just offered in his priestly service. So you can take your, your pick of which one you believe. I tend to believe the latter for this reason. Because he says, your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. So I tend to think that it's the second that Luke is referring to here. But either way, the point is that he prayed. God heard his prayer and God responded to his prayer. Now, the appearance of an angel in those circumstances uh, could and did cause some concern. And perhaps the first thing that went through Zachariah's mind was, did I say something wrong? Did I do something wrong? Has the angel come to correct me or worse? So the angel reassures him that his prayer was acceptable and that it has been heard. I wonder what went through his mind when he's heard Gabriel say, and... Elizabeth's going to have a baby. I wonder what went through his mind. This elderly couple, they've been waiting so long to hear this news. They were going to have a child. But then he says this child's name would be John. You know what John means? God has been gracious. Perfect name for the child, right? By the grace of God, they would have the child that they had longed and prayed for. And this child would be a source of great joy. But not just for the parents, but for many others as well. The angel went on to tell them to raise his gift of God's grace, uh, how to raise his gift of God's grace. He was to be set apart as a sign of his holiness. He was not to have any strong drink. Say, so why? Because that was to show that what he said and what he did came only from the influence of the Holy Spirit, and not because he got liquored up. Amen. So Zechariah had just been given incredibly good news. Their prayer had been answered. The child they prayed for was going to be something special. And you think Zechariah would just be bursting with praise. He would be bursting with joy. And he would be on top of the world. But like so many of us, what, ha what happens? Doubt and unbelief. And I think we can all identify to some degree with Zechariah. We hear good news, something that we've been praying for for perhaps uh, several years. We find out that, hey, that... God's going to answer that prayer, but immediately we say, well, what if this happens or what if that happens? 
You know what those statements are? They're statements of unbelief. They're not statements of faith. And part of the problem we have so many times is, do you realize that God makes a lot of promises that will only be, be fulfilled into the future? And we Christians, we, we struggle with that. We, we kind of forget that. Now think about this. Apply it to Zachariah and Elizabeth. He says, hey, you're going to have a child. How long does it take from conception to birth? Nine months, last I checked. So what's your point? He had to believe that it was actually going to be fulfilled before he saw the fulfillment of it. And that's where we struggle as Christians so many times. If it's not answered today, we think it's never going to be answered. I want to be married, and we think we should be married next month. We want to have a child, we think we should have that child nine months from now. You have to understand that with the promise, there are, there are some time constraints that God puts on us for our good, and it doesn't mean that he's not going to answer our prayer, but the answer may be sometime in the future. So it doesn't take long for the doubts to creep in, for the unbelief, unbelief to creep in. It begin, unbelief begins to take hold, and we begin to play the what-if game. What if this happens? What if that happens? Listen, we must always be on guard and fight against unbelief. Unbelief will rob you of any sense of joy. I'm not good at many things, but there's one thing I'm real good at. I don't play the what-if game. I don't play what-if. Why? Because God has a plan, God has a purpose, and I know that it's going to work out exactly as he wants it to work out. So why do I waste my mental energy playing the what-if game? So Zechariah gets incredibly good news, and what was his response? What was unbelief? Listen to what he says. How shall I know this? Think about this. Use your sanctified imagination here. They have been praying for decades for this. This was the news they wanted to hear. And so he, he hears from, from the angel Gabriel. Gabriel says, I've got a message from God. Your prayers have been heard, and Elizabeth's going to have a child. And he says, well, how shall I know this? And then he follows it up with a statement of unbelief, for I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. What is he doing here? He's completely forgetting about the power of God. He's completely denying that the God who made the universe, the creator of all life, who controls all life, can circumvent the laws of nature and physics anytime that he wants to and make anything happen that he wants to. And that's what, he's, that's what Gabriel was trying to tell him here. Now, notice how Gabriel responds. I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. I think Gabriel was incredulous that Zechariah responded that way. I think Gabriel was, was thinking, how dare you? Who, who do you think you are? 
I just told you that I'm Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God and I've come to deliver you a message and here you are, I barely got the words out of my mouth and you're doubting them. Do we see ourselves in that same scenario every once in a while? And I, I, I thought to myself, I wonder how Gabriel responded to him. Do you think he whispered? Oh, Zechariah. Do you think he was kind of like lighthearted and conversational? <laughs> Zechariah, listen to you. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I think with a voice like thunder, he said, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. How dare you, the created, doubt the creator? <coughs> Are there any consequences to unbelief? Yes, always, always. Notice the consequence of Zechariah's unbelief. Gabriel responds to his unbelief with the pronouncement, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And because of his unbelief, Gabriel said, and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Why? Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Now think about this. Good news is meant to be shared, right? Parents, expected parents, they can't wait to let people know, hey, we're going to have a baby. They're excited. And I hope that you're going to be excited too. But because of his unbelief, what happened? He couldn't speak. He couldn't speak. He couldn't rush out with any kind of verbal joy and say to Elizabeth, we're going to have a baby. He's... What a tragedy. What should have been a tremendous moment of joy is really was probably something of consternation. I can't say what I want to say. I've got such incredible news, but I can't share it. What caused this situation? Unbelief. Unbelief. See, beloved, it is a sin to doubt God's word. This is what him and his wife have been praying for for decades. But yet, when they receive the answer to their prayer, they, he doesn't believe it. Would you... Make yourself a mental note of this, if nothing else. Unbelief is always easier than faith. See Doubting Thomas. What did he say? Unless I see, unless I can put my finger in the hole in his hands, unless I can reach into his side, I'm not going to believe. See, unbelief is always easier than faith. But there is no reward for unbelief, unbelief and faith is always rewarded. Zechariah, despite his prayers, struggled to believe in the supernatural power of God. 
He looked to himself and said, there's no way this can happen. He thought of his wife's age and he said, she's too old to have a child. You wonder before Gabriel shut him down, did he say, Gabriel, have you taken a look at me? I'm no spring chicken. And Elizabeth, she's been busting the budget with wrinkle cream. What's going on here? See, as one commentator said, he had his biology right, but his theology was all wrong. He chose unbelief over faith. So I ask you, what about you? What is God doing in your life or what is God doing in our church? And you're choosing unbelief over faith. Remember that the Bible says, whatever is not of faith is what? It's sin. Apparently, Zechariah didn't really expect God to answer the prayer that he'd been praying for all those years. Philip Ryken says, sometimes even a good man has trouble believing in the power of prayer or the truth of God's word. That's the takeaway from us from the scriptures today. Even believers are sometimes plagued by unbelief. But your unbelief is displeasing to God. And I wonder how long did it take for Zechariah to realize he had made a mistake? Probably when he tried to speak the first word and found out, uh-oh. Isn't it interesting that uh, God comes to them and says, hey, your wife's going to have a baby. He said, I don't know, physically, I'm not sure that can happen. So the angel strikes him physically and ties his tongue. Okay, you want a physical sign? Here you go, big boy. You won't say another word for nine months. So what do we walk away with this, from this today? Let me give you four or five things. Number one, pray during all the seasons of life. Pray through the sunny sky days and the dark rainy days. Number two, pray because you do not know how God is working behind the scenes to answer your prayer. Again, we walk by faith, not by sight. Three, continue to pray because God is glorified in your praying. Pray, listen, say, how is God glorified in my praying? Because you are acknowledging that there are certain things that only he can do. You're acknowledging the greatness of his character. You're acknowledging his power. You're acknowledging his sovereignty. You're saying, I can't, but you can. Pray because God uses your prayers as the means to accomplish his will. I know, I know. People say, well, if it's God's will, it's going to happen regardless of what I do. The Bible doesn't approach it that way. Not at all. God always works through means, and prayer is one of his means. We desire to see people come to faith in Christ, and we better pray for them to come to Christ. Okay. Next, I don't know what number I'm at, so it doesn't matter. The longer the delay, the greater the glory. Zechariah and Elizabeth had waited decades for this, and God was, got, received more glory, was more glorified through that decades-long delay. If God had, think about this, if God had answered their prayer sooner, the child would not have been John the Baptist. He would not have been the forerunner of the Messiah. 
he would not grow up to prepare the way of the Lord. See, God's timing was perfect. When God answers your prayer, guard against unbelief. You know, there's a big difference between saying, I can't believe it, and I won't believe it. You go back and you look at the, the account of Mary when she hears the good news. And her attitude was, was not unbelief, but it was like, I can't believe it. In a similar situation, Zachariah says, I won't believe it. Make sure that we don't fall in that camp. As a church, we must make sure that when we pray, we really do believe that not only is God hearing our prayers, He is actively at work answering our prayers in such a way that His glory is magnified and maximized.